Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season three of the Next Academy podcast, where we focus on construction leadership, brand growth, and staying on offense. I'm Cody Phillips, joined as always by my co-host, Western PA NECA Executive Director and Next Academy co-creator, Chad Jones. First, I'd like to thank the 2020 foundational sponsors who power the Next Academy, Graybar, Southwire, Milwaukee Tool, and ABB for their great support. For those of you who are first-time listeners, thank you for joining us. The Next Academy was specifically designed for union construction executives and the unique challenges they face. Next is an intimate 12-month training ground built on four foundational concentrations, enabling leadership, building vibrant organizations, innovation and disruption for a VUCA world, and lastly, negotiating for a better future. It is an empirically-based curriculum, leveraging modern technology to deliver the most user-friendly experience for each participant. The overarching goal of Next is to help. To help each and every participant, each of our contractors become more sustainable and profitable long into the future. The feedback from our participants has been overwhelmingly positive, and I encourage you to consider walking alongside your peers on this leadership journey. We've now had over 150 electrical and mechanical contracting companies and over 300 participants from California to Boston and everywhere in between. To learn more, I encourage you to check out our website, www.nextleadershipacademy.org. Let's hear a word from Lisa Wampler and John Greenhall for our Coenseglius Legal Minute. As we close out the year, we wanted to thank Cody and Chad for the opportunity to share Coenseglius' Legal Minute with all of you. We hope that the tips we've given you have been helpful as you navigate through the legal challenges you may face in the day-to-day operations of your construction business. For our last segment, we will be discussing the importance of notice as it's a legal concept that relates to a number of issues on a construction project. Knowing what your contract requires for notice of delay, changes in scope, or unforeseen site conditions is the first step to preserving your rights to additional compensation for these different circumstances. While notice provisions can vary from contract to contract, the underlying principle is generally the same. A contracting party should notify the other parties when a potential cost or time impact occurs. Notice provisions generally require an explanation of the delay event and its cost and time impact, along with supporting documentation. Unfortunately, notice provisions can often be difficult to satisfy. Contractors should avoid provisions requiring notice within an unreasonably short period of time. For example, a provision requiring notice of a delay event within two days of the occurrence should be modified to five or ten business days if possible. Contractors should also avoid notice provisions that require a cost and schedule impact analysis accompanying the notice because it is costly and may not be possible to calculate the consequences until the work is completed. Subcontractors also need to be aware of the contractor's notice provisions contained in the contract with the owner. 
Oftentimes, the subcontractor is required to give notice within enough time to allow the contractor to comply with its own notice obligations to the owner. Depending on the law that controls the contract and the surrounding circumstances, failing to strictly comply with the notice requirements can potentially bar a claim for additional costs. Therefore, understanding the requirements, providing timely notice, and taking steps to preserve your potential claim outside of formal notice requirements is critical to preserving your claim. Happy holidays, everyone. Lisa and I wish you all the best for a prosperous 2021. Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Oh, have I got your attention now? Have I got your attention now? What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, buddy. Uh, the secret to an extraordinary life starts with five simple changes that anyone can make. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you do for a living, or how much money you have, everyone has a shot at greatness. Zach Friedman has inspired millions with his powerful insights, including more than 14 million who have read his advice in Forbes over the years. In his groundbreaking new book, The Lemonade Life, which Chad and I will discuss today, Friedman starts with a fundamental question, what drives success? It's not only hard work, talent, and skill. The most successful people have one thing in common, the power to flip five internal switches. We all have these five switches, and when activated, they're the secret to fuel success, create happiness, and conquer anything. The Lemonade Life is filled with inspirational and practical advice that will teach you why you should write yourself a $10 million check, why your career depends on the Greek alphabet, how Judge Judy can help you become better at work meetings, how these 20 questions will change your life. Learn from the entrepreneur who failed 5,126 times before becoming a billionaire, the 14th century German monk who helped reinvent Domino's Pizza, the technology visionary who asked himself the same question every morning, the country music icon who bought more than 100 million books, and the ice cream truck driver who made $110,237 in less than an hour. There are incredibly powerful stories and actionable lessons in this book. Um, it can profoundly change the way you live, lead, and work. Your path to greatness starts with a simple choice. Every day, you're choosing to live one of two lives, the lemon life or the lemonade life, which will you lead? So what's new in your world, Mr. Jones? Are you making lemonade out of lemons here as 2020 winds down? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to find out real soon um, as 2021 approaches. But um, one of the things we'll get into here in a minute is, is what I like about this book, Cody, is it goes back to um, the fundamentals of what makes it happen, what exactly drives the change. And we talk a lot about... 
um, saying something and saying you're going to do something is a big difference than actually doing it or making the change. So what's what's new with me? 2020 is coming to an end. Um, 2021 is fastly approaching. I think like everyone else, um, certainly ready to turn the calendar. Um, I don't expect too much to change, at least in the first quarter, but I have a lot of optimism that finally, as we move into 2021 with the uh, distribution of the vaccine, um, that confidence will begin to come back. Um, I, you know, my economic perspective is a little bit different. I think as the country gets healthier from the virus, um, I'll be curious to see how we do with the economic health, especially on small businesses in the world that we operate in. I know when I talk to my partners in labor that uh, you, you, on the management side, you really have a lens that looks out. So uh, just because you've gotten through 2020 and there's a vaccine, um, as far as steering small businesses, especially in the construction industry, um, my concern certainly is for 2021 and you know how long does it take um, to turn, this industry is a cruise ship. So the moment you cut the engines and you're cruising in one direction, once you get those engines started again, to get back up to speed and uh, back up to where you are is going to take time. And that's, that's my economic concern for 2021. And I think that the support that uh, the National Electrical Contractors Association, especially here in Western Pennsylvania, uh, is going to need to give our, uh, our business owners here in the region that we serve, we're going to have to be really creative and think outside the box of, of the many different ways that we can help them as a chapter above and beyond what the typical services are. Really good, man. So I agree with most of what you said with regard to 2021. And I think it's, I think it's going to be a great opportunity um, for us to continue to look for ways to add value in unique ways. So that'll be an interesting challenge as we head in that direction. My general observations on the book uh, is I really enjoyed it. I listened to the audio version. Uh, It helped to reinforce some of the strategies that I've been working on on a personal level and also provided many new insights. I got a lot out of it, honestly. I feel like it is one of the books um, that I will go back to again and again. You know, I love the idea that the lemonade life is, isn't just a destination, but truly a way of life. So just general thoughts on the book. I know you're going to dive into the five switches that are so important to this philosophy of Friedman's. Yeah, I really like the book. Um, it's one that I threw on the audio book on my morning runs. Um, as you know, I like to tear through books on those runs, and they seem to go quicker. But I then physically need the book so I can go back through it, highlight, and like you said, reread. And actually, listening to it for the first time on my runs was one thing. Going back through it with pen and highlighter helps cement some of the things that the author was trying to drive home. And I think um, one of the simple equations that he uses at the very beginning is that your past life equals your current life which will equal your future life. And it's really important to understand that because all the examples in the book, they each have a crescendo with each individual who is sitting in a moment and desires success so much that they're almost, they're, they're stuck. They're out of money, they're frustrated, their careers are failing, but they begin to change something. 
So they take the situation and say, okay, this is my current life and this is where I'm at. Now, this is where I want to go. What do I have to change to get there? There's a disruption in the equation. And so the author breaks it down um, to the five switches that need to be flipped. And if you think about uh, prism is a good way to remember these five switches and their perspective, risk, independence, self-awareness, in motion. Um, perspective is perspective is important because it, it's it's the switch on perspective is when you change your opportunities. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about a couple of things under perspective here in a moment and how you view the world. Um, risk is you change your decision making. Independence is you change your freedom. Um, what ties you down? How do you how do you um, operate on a daily basis? What what mold are you working within that you're claiming you can't do something or you can't change something because of? Um, that's what the author is talking about, freedom. Self-awareness, you change your self-understanding. Uh, what you tell yourself versus what you should be telling yourself. What you hear versus maybe what you need to hear. How self-aware are you of where you're at? Maybe you're in a bad place. Well, are you self-aware enough to recognize why or is your perspective off and are you blaming other other entities and individuals? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And uh, motion, uh, you change your circumstances, you actually begin to take uh, steps to move forward. So um, I really like the book. I like the way the author kind of breaks it down and says, okay, let's really dive into these differences and, and why certain people are successful and why not. And it becomes to altering the equation in your life at some point. After introducing the five switches, the book does a nice job of weaving stories that spotlight really the stark differences between what Friedman refers to as lemon lifers and lemonade lifers. He looks at, he will take one situation, but view it through those two distinct lenses. And it becomes very clear to Chad's point that one's own personal mindset and also who they surround themselves with are huge factors in not only who they are now, but who they will become. Every day, people, whether you know it or not, are choosing between one of these two lives, the lemon life or the lemonade life. The lemon life is about settling for something less than your full potential. A life like that is built on excuses, entitlement, chasing, and pretending. However, you know, Friedman believes, and I certainly believe, that there is a better path. The lemonade life. He says the lemonade life is leading life on your terms with purpose and possibility. This book, I think, Chad, does a nice job of showing you how to flip on each of those five switches that you just discussed to change what it really does when you flip those switches is it changes your outlook and your perspective and allows you to make better decisions and also gives you the power and freedom to ultimately take complete control of your own life. Now that's spot on Cody and and when you talk about perspective the author really um, he sees it through um, three lenses. And let's, let's see for you listeners out there. I think 
you all know somebody in your life that that is like this. And we're going to lay out um, three of these. The one perspective that some people see the world through is is the external excuser. This is this is the person in the meeting or at the family picnic that the system's always rigged against them. Um, they're the ones that anytime you talk of something positive or maybe something your business is doing, they're going to tell you why the government's going to take all your money or that um, laws will be passed that'll destroy what you're doing. And uh, these these are the ones that. Um, they, they have an excuse for every reason why they can't do something. Um, and so if you're someone that's, that's pursuing, and it's important to be self-aware of this, if you're someone that's pursuing some major goal or greatness or success in business, but you're one of these people, the likelihood of you getting there is slim to none because you, you, you will quit because everything's, you're cheated. You've been or, cheated. Or, or <laughs> Bottom line, right? You've been cheated. That's why or, you can't get there. Or... or you surround yourself with these people, you know, right. you have a much less chance of reaching your goals and dreams as well. I mean, that's important. If you're one of them, that's one thing. But also, when you surround yourself with, with these types of people, it's going to uh, strongly deter your ability to reach your goals and dreams. Absolutely. And then, and then how about the steady settler? The, these are the, I'm a little bit of a I've had some steady settling tendencies in my life. This is hard, and I, and so I had a lot of I had a lot of I had a lot of thoughts on this one, especially as I was running. Because you said when you hear these things, you, you're trying to identify yourself in each one of sure. them. So as the author talks about it, you're going, "Is that me? Maybe that's me." Um, I, I there's parts of it that are, but I think maybe where you can only answer this for yourself. Maybe the part where you're missing this is the steady settler. One way you can identify them is. They will, um, they will tell you that they can't stand their job or they don't like where they live, but it's just, it's too good to walk away from. I mean, they're the ones that are going, yeah, I know I'm not fulfilled. I don't like it. I don't like what I do, but Hey, you know what? You know, it's a good job. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not going to be foolish. I'm not going to be selfish. And they excuse away the reasons why. Um, they're going to stay. They're the ones that maybe check off the status things, like I have to have a certain size house. Mm -hmm. Check that box. Um, I, I want a, a law degree. I need to check that box. Or maybe I need a certain car. I'll check that box. And at the end of the day, they've checked a lot of boxes, but there's one thing that's missing, and you'll never see it because they're not going to come out and tell you. <laughs> right. Okay, You're going to try to compare yourself to them, and you're going to try to race them against uh, possessions. Well, John's got um, a Mercedes. I want a Mercedes. John's got a big house with a pool. I want a big house. And so while you're doing all that, the one thing you're missing is that John hates his friggin' job. John's not happy. And so those, those are the, uh, the steady settlers. They have, they have uh, foregone maybe self-fulfillment, to check boxes of possession. Yeah, I'm none of those things. Um, the the part I wouldn't put you in that category. No, that definitely. I'm glad I talked you out of it. I'm definitely <laughs> none of those. Um, the one part that I did find myself um, agreeing with with that type of personality was the the scheduling. Uh, they talked a, an awful lot about the planning and scheduling aspect to those people. And I am certainly somebody that likes a plan. And I do like to check boxes, not necessarily those boxes, but when I have a plan um, in place, I do like control 
over that plan, I guess. Well, is the this part is kind of where I took a little bit of issue with the steady settler because why can't I check check those boxes and like my job? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> why can't you do it all? Um, and the la- the uh, the third one, the third lens is the um, the change chaser. Um, this is this is the person um, that perhaps at the family barbecue will tell you how much money they made during the crash for gold craze while conveniently omitting how much they subsequently lost trading digital currencies. This is the person who always knows more about where the world's at than you, seems way cooler, um, for the most part is um, just seeking the next latest and greatest thing, but isn't committed to any one thing. Um, this is, you know, th- you. I'll, I'll tell you how you know these people. You all know this person. This is the person you sit around, maybe you're having a coffee or a cocktail, and they tell you three or four things that they invented before it came out. And they tell you how they invented Uber. <laughs> but, you know, what happened was it just the timing wasn't right. Yeah. This is this person, right? They, they always have the next great idea, except when they leave, they don't do anything about it. Yeah, and I think to me, I just, especially with social media, you can spot so many of these change chasers out there that jump for, I mean, to me, it's really the flavor of the month of, you know, this month I'm, I'm teaching this, this month I'm teaching this, this month I'm teaching this, uh, this month I'm, I'm doing this, this much I'm doing that. And it's just, it's very easy to, to spot these people. And, and really it's really, it's, it becomes easy to spot any of these lemon lifers once you have some parameters about uh, who they are. Right. And although they're action-oriented, change chasers rarely finish what they start. When they can't get rich quick, they lose interest and are rarely searching for the next big thing. The bottom line is they're not closers. Now, this, Cody, is where the book changes because there's one lens... Um, that we didn't leave out. Those are the three lenses that the author breaks down of people that he sees as lemon life. Yeah, and and listen, he's not saying these people are failures. Internally, are they satisfied? Did they achieve what they set out to achieve? And that's kind of what he breaks down when he gets to the people in this book that were ultimately very successful and very fulfilled. And that's the daring disruptor. And the daring disruptor, at a glance. They're game changers who drive creativity, innovation, and transformation on their own terms. They're original thinkers. They proactively take calculated risks to reach their full potential. Daring disruptors win because they dare to be bold, succeed because they think unconventionally, achieve because they never stop learning, and excel because they take risks to seize opportunities. And that's, that's the lens this author wants to drive um, home to the reader. Yeah, I think that's a a lofty goal for anyone listening to this podcast to try to reach. Friedman does a really nice job, both uniquely and creatively, of weaving real-life illustrations and lessons throughout the book from famous icons such as Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs, uh, Jack Ma, Sam Walton, Ray Kroc, Sylvester Stallone, Tyler Perry, and many others. I know, Chad, you're going you're gonna to kind of take us through uh, Stallone and his just unbelievable belief, I think is the right word, in Rocky and his story. So why don't you take it from here? Sure. So there's several really good examples of this throughout the book, but I felt like this one really drives home 
all categories that the author's trying to get home to the reader. So bear with me over a couple pages here. I'm going to read you this story, um, and we're going to start with the eye of the tiger. Sylvester Stallone had $106 in the bank. His wife, Sasha, was pregnant. He couldn't afford the rent. His car broke down. He was struggling as an actor. He appeared in a few films, Capone, Death Race 2000, The Lord of the Flatbush, but his career was going nowhere. Stallone felt he had been typecast in darker roles as a thug or a criminal. He wondered if he could write his own story, literally and figuratively. Could he write his way out of his tough position in life? He tried screenwriting and wrote several scripts. He sought to write something that could convey the soul of a character underneath the rough exterior. It was during this rough patch that his life changed inside a movie theater, but not for the reason you might think. He wasn't watching a film, but a boxing match between Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight champion, and Chuck Wepner, nicknamed the Bayonne Bleeder, for his hometown of Bayonne, New Jersey, and his tendency to need stitches after a fight. Here was a boxing match between the greatest fighter of all time and a local challenger who didn't stand a chance. But Wepner, the 30-to-1 underdog, stunned the crowd in the ninth round when he knocked down Ali, marking only the third time in Ali's career that he'd been knocked down. For that one moment, the underdog became the champion. David had knocked down Goliath. Although Ali eventually won the fight, winning by technical knockout in the 15th round, something clicked for Stallone. He was mesmerized that Wepner almost went the distance with the heavyweight champion of the world, even if he lost the fight. Stallone couldn't stop thinking about this fight he'd witnessed. After finishing an audition for an acting role, Stallone turned to the producers, Bob Chartoff and Erwin Winkler, and mentioned he had a script he thought they'd like. Producers get pitched that same line all the time, but they surprisingly told Stallone to bring his script by later that day. The script was called Paradise Alley. They liked his writing, but they didn't want to make the movie. The producer said they were thinking of making a boxing movie. Stallone then said he had a perfect story and asked if the producers would read the script if he wrote it. They agreed. Inspired, Stallone wrote the original script for Rocky with a Bic pen, a notebook paper, in three and a half days. He sent the script, now about 80 pages, to Chartoff and Winkler. They loved the script and after several rewrites told United Artists, the movie studio, that they wanted to make the film. Rocky is the iconic story of an underdog amateur boxer, Rocky Balboa, who stuns the world by going 15 rounds with the heavyweight champion Apollo Creed. It's an inspirational everyman story that injects hope and motivation into anyone who has seen the film, even the external excuser. In a Hollywood movie, this is where Happily Ever After normally would kick in. However, in real life, this is when drive, motivation, and unrelenting commitment to success must carry you over the finish line. This is the moment when daring disruptors separate themselves from the pack. Here's what Stallone didn't do that makes him a daring disruptor. Stallone had written Rocky for one lead actor, himself. He likened it to a tailored suit made specifically for him. He knew he would never get another opportunity like this. United Artists liked the script. They liked the story. But they wanted a brand name actor to star in the movie. Could you blame them? Here was a golden script, and naturally they wanted a big star to carry the film. Perhaps Robert Redford, 
Burt Reynolds, Ryan O'Neill, or James Caan. Stallone was unknown and wouldn't drive ticket sales like other actors could. After repeated pushback, United Artists finally agreed to consider, to consider Stallone. After greenlighting the movie, United Artist executives in New York screened The Lords of the Flatbush to see Stallone's acting chops. They had no idea what Stallone looked like. After the screening, one of the executives, Arthur Krim, told another executive, Eric Pleskow, that he liked the film, but didn't understand why the Italian actor was blonde. Pleskow responded that Italians can be blonde too. The executives thought that the blonde Perry King, another actor in the Lords of the Flatbush, was Stallone. Confident in what they saw from King, they greenlit Rocky with Stallone as the lead. When they later learned that they had confused King for Stallone and that the latter would be playing Rocky, they called off the deal. United Artists sent Stallone a new offer for his script, this time with one condition, that he wouldn't star in the film. So a Hollywood studio wanted to buy Stallone's script. He was down and out. He desperately needed money. For most people, that would have been a no-brainer. Sell the script, collect the windfall, and use the cash to get back on your feet. A steady settler or a change chaser would have sold the script. Stallone said no. He refused to sell the script unless he could play Rocky. No matter how much the offer increased, at one point it was reportedly more than $300,000. Stallone still wouldn't budge. Why? He was willing to risk everything. He was willing to put everything on the line. There was no backup plan. No other movie role. No other big break. This was his ticket. Stallone finally convinced the producers that he was the right choice to play Rocky. Chartoff and Winkler then lowered the production budget below a million dollars, which gave them, and not United's artists, final approval for casting Stallone. Stallone stood his ground. He believed so much in the project, in the character, and in the story that he was willing to walk away from all the money, even when he needed it most. Rocky won Best Picture at the Academy Awards in 1977. Stallone and his fellow castmates received Oscar nominations. The film also won for Best Director and Best Editing. I never would have sold it, Stallone later told the New York Times. I would have hated myself for selling out. My wife agreed and said she'd be willing to move to a trailer in the middle of a swamp if need be. Daring disruptors like Stallone go all in. You should be willing to give up everything to achieve your goal. Your goal deserves your absolute attention and effort. That is the best story from this book that drives home each of the author's points. You could see during that story the opportunity to exit stage left and settle. Several opportunities. Several opportunities. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty amazing, I mean, to hear that level of commitment. I mean, I guess you can take several different things out of that. Um, I take just a sincere level of commitment. And I'm reminded, honestly, that for a lot of people, the difference in making their dreams become realities oftentimes falls back on their standards. You know, what is your standard? As you're listening out there, everyone in the world has a list of things that they should do. 
and we're getting ready to get on New Year's resolution time, and you're going to have all kinds of things that you should do. I should lose weight. I should exercise. should spend more time with my kids. I should work harder. Oftentimes, we know exactly what we should do, and for some reason, people inevitably do not follow through on their shoulds. And what happens is you end up beating yourself up. But what changes, at least what changed for me, and I think for these daring disruptors, uh, you know, what happens is the real change occurs when a should becomes a must. Things that you mentioned that should happen, they now have to happen. That's the unlock. It's, It's the old burning the the boats analogy. If you want to take the island, you burn the boats because there's no way of getting off the island. There's no looking back, no retreat. You know, to me, it sounds like Sly Stallone was was on this path that this must happen and it will happen my way. You know, I didn't hear any of this should happen in that story that you just told. And I think for all of us listening out there, it's a great example. When you change your shoulds to musts, you will succeed. This is a guarantee. So if you're out there listening and you're off track, my first piece of advice would be take a lesson from Sly and turn those goals into musts, into have to happens. And I think you'll be amazed ultimately about what you can accomplish now and also in the future. I think it gives a whole new meaning to Eye of the Tiger because while the movie was fictional, the situation that it was written about was far from fictional. It's it's a fight. It's it an uphill real. battle, and it's very real. You're down and out, and um, you know, no matter how you want to paint that, to your point, um, oftentimes a plan B is is a an escape route out of a commitment. It's just so easy. When you say, tomorrow, I'd like to run. (laughs) And then when you wake up tomorrow morning and you check that weather forecast, and that weather forecast isn't exactly like you want it to be, (laughs) eh, maybe I'll run tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you've given yourself an out by saying, tomorrow, I'd like to. Yeah. You have to say, tomorrow, I'm running no matter what. Right. And I think that's really the difference. And there's is, freedom in that. Sure. I mean, that's where that independence comes from. Well, and li- I mean, listen, then there's no decision. No decision to be made. You know, I mean, you're, you're running. That's right. And, and that's like really, and that's when it becomes a must. And it, it's no longer a, you should be doing it or I'd like to do it. It's you are doing it. And I think for your, I think you would find an incredible amount of freedom and, and peace in, the ability to say you're going to do something and, and you do it. Right. At the end of the day, maybe you'll knock out Apollo Creed. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. So to bring this home for you out there, I was reading another book called Instant Millionaire, and the guy said, put yourself in a position where you can't retreat, where it's do or die, sink or swim, Here's what you'll find out. You'll develop incredible swimming skills. Through the inspiration of desperation, you'll become more creative, 
than ever before. Throw your whole self into it. Do not step into the water tentatively. Jump, my friends. Jump. Oh, Father, tell me Do we get what we deserve? Oh, we get what we deserve And we're down 